make sure you do as well. This weekend, we get a chance to show our love as we celebrate our mothers this weekend. Who, who, is, who is that, Miles? Lunchbox Louie. For those who are going to call and ask, I know they're going to call and ask. That's Lunchbox Louie. I love that track, man. That's nice. Uh, we celebrate our mothers this weekend. It's Mother's Day, right? What about the mothers, though, uh, who are impacted by America's criminal legal system? We speak uh, with Ray Lanier in this hour about the challenges certain mothers face trying to navigate the maze of mass incarceration. Do we have the capacity to reimagine public safety, to replace cash bail with fair alternatives and foster a system that offers support and treatment rather than criminalization? for mothers grappling with mental health or substance issues? Can we create a system that nurtures and uplifts families rather than tearing them apart? We'll talk about it uh, in this hour with the fierce advocate and abolitionist, Ray Lanier. Ray, good to have you on. How are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Ooh, your, sound, your phone sounds horrible. Say that again. How are you doing? I said, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. That sounds, we'll get you there. Sounds a little bit better. You got to talk on the phone, though. Sounds a little bit better. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, lots to talk about in this hour. And um, let me start with this. Uh, a broad question, and then we'll, we'll, we'll work our way through the hour. Um, what is it specifically with regard to what I, I, I kind of just teed this up, but what is it ultimately that you want to draw our attention to this weekend as we celebrate mothers with regard to the mothers that you work with? Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you asked uh, because uh, we're doing the Michigan's Black Moms bailout um, where we're calling attention to the fact that there's a lot of moms who don't actually get to spend time with their families um, on Mother's Day, uh, let alone any other day of the year. Um, we've seen the incarceration of women go up over 30% in the last decade, and it's rarely talked about. Uh, the crushing impact that it has on our communities. Mm -hmm. um, when you say uh, mothers um, this weekend who you work with don't get a chance to spend time with their families, tell me more about that. Yeah, um, so women are incarcerated at a much higher rate uh, than we see their male counterparts. Um, it's also extremely expensive to post a bail for women as opposed to um, charges for men. For example, in Wayne County, in the city of Detroit, where I live and organize, um, we can get, you know, two or three guys for the price of one um, mom. And it's it's sad to put it in such blunt terms, but literally you're exchanging money for people's freedom. Um, and even though, you know, over the years we have created infrastructure to try and free these moms, um, it's become harder and harder to even post a bond for them as they often have, um, you know, uh, the book thrown at them, right? Uh, charges that either exceed our uh, bail uh, limits that we can post for folks um, or they aren't given bail at all. Um, so we're bringing attention to the fact that this needs to change, not just for black women um, and women of color, but for people um, living in this country. Uh, people should not uh, be criminalized for poverty. And we see um, after three years of a pandemic and, you know, record high inflation um, that really 
this is just an automatic sentence to incarceration and a further stigmatized life. And that doesn't equal public safety. It doesn't equal the safe communities that we all are hoping to see and raise our families in. I'll come in a moment, uh, Ray Lanier, to this notion of how women are being criminalized for poverty. Uh, uh, we'll unpack that in a moment here. But let me let me just ask a, a big question here, which is the following. How do I read? What are we to make of the rising rates of incarceration for women? To your point, not just black women, but across the board in, in 2023. Like what's behind that? How, how do I read the rising incarceration rates of women specifically? Yeah, I think that we're all under increasing mental and financial strain. Um, you know, a lot of folks first um, encounter with any type of treatment uh, happens to be our uh, country and states, you know, prisons and jails. Um, and, you know, we know from the pandemic alone that, you know, folks are starting to use substances to cope. It was harder to get doctor's appointments, right? Folks were dying left and right. It was harder to get medication. Um, and so folks did what they could to survive to the next day. Um, when you look at the data, and Prison uh, Policy Initiative does a great uh, job at tracking these facts, um, most folks, most women who are in jail are not for violent crimes. When we look at local jails, uh, only 10,000 10, of the 76,000 um, reported are there for violent crimes. Everyone else is there for property, substance use, public disorder, um, you know, uh, drug possession, burglary, fraud, car theft, um, poverty. I mean, again, these are um, crimes or actions of desperation or not even desperation. People just trying to make it the best way that they can. Um, and, you know, we say in our organizing movement ecosystem that, you know, when you take a black man away from the home, uh, when you incarcerate a black man, you know, you destroy the home. Uh, when you incarcerate a black woman, you really tear down the community. Um, we have been surviving with gossamer thin webs of support, um, particularly as our men have been incarcerated in the decades uh, before. And so we're seeing that as these women are being uh, incarcerated for mental health issues or uh, financial um, deficiency or crimes, that we tend to see, you know, um, the neighborhood decline, right? School closings, a lot more kids on the street, a lot more foster care incidents and beyond. Um, and what we're hoping for with this effort is to ask for different solutions. Um, policing and, you know, prisons and jails should not be our first and most heavily leaned on uh, support or solution for housing insecurity. Um and, and whatnot. As we move through this hour, we'll talk about some of those different solutions. But when we come forward, I want to come directly to this point um, of how uh, women are being uh, criminalized for poverty. It's a strong statement uh, that uh, demands uh, uh, being interrogated, uh, demands uh, being defined and backed up. How, in fact, are women specifically being criminalized for poverty in this country? We're talking with Ray Lanier, executive director of Michigan Liberation and one of the original uh, co-founders of Action for Liberation. 
uh, who's working uh, tirelessly with women to uplift and support mothers impacted by the criminal legal system. And so as we do all the time around here, I want to give you something else to think about. Uh, as you celebrate your mother this weekend, uh, these mothers who are being ignored uh, and being disenfranchised, frankly, by the system. A conversation about them when we come forward with Ray Lanier on KBLA Talk 1580. Ray Lanier, tell me more about how women, uh, to your earlier point, are being criminalized for poverty. Yeah, yeah, I can uh, definitely touch back uh, on that. Um, so what we see uh, in Wayne County, where I live, uh, for instance, um, the highest bail amount we posted um, was around a thousand bucks. The lowest bail we posted was one hundred and fifty. A lot of these folks had spent months um, in prison or I'm sorry, in the county jail simply because they could not afford uh, that amount. Um, I'd like to actually share a story about someone um, that we did bail out um, in names of a change to protect the innocent. But um, last year in the spring, we were able to bail out um, a mom named uh, Letitia, and her bail was 2500 bucks. She was a single mom. Um, she had three young kids. Um, her eldest was six. I think um, her middle child was three, and the youngest was an infant, uh, about four months old. She had a job as a CNA uh, that she ended up losing because she was unable to secure child care, which a lot of parents know is an uh, ever-increasing problem, and the costs are going up. She was a couple of m- months behind on rent, and on top of everything, having the baby, she was struggling through postpartum depression. So she was arrested for charges that were ultimately dropped. Um, But statistics show us that 24 hours spent in pretrial detention um, can mean a lot of things. Um, She ended up spending 23 days behind bars because she wasn't able to post that $2,500. She had uh, gotten trouble with her job. Um, she was not able to be with her infant. I mean, who she was still breastfeeding. Um, and when we were finally able to secure her bail, it still cost her $800 a month to pay for the tether, um, that she was required to have. Um, she was required to have a landline, which many of us don't even have anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and it required her to be employed. So she was unable to pay any of that. We were able to assist her. But when she got out, her cars had been impounded. Her home had been destroyed. Um, her children were threatened, you know, from being ripped away from her. And this is just like one story of one person who had a good job, who was making it on her own, who brushed up with the bail system for charges that she wasn't even charged for in the end. And her whole life is is, is in disarray. This is just one story. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, and then when we when we look at the pandemic, I mean, we were able to get bail as low as five and ten dollars. And we still saw people that were in there not able to afford that amount. Um, So the problem is really pervasive. I think a lot of us don't think about it. Um, I think when we think of bail, we, you know, kind of flash to what we see uh, in popular culture where you just bring the money and then they bring the person. But that's actually not the case. It is incredibly hard to post bail for anyone in this country, let alone a black mom. Um, And so, again, using this effort of the Michigan Black Mamas bailout to bring attention to not just the the problem that the bail system presents, but hopefully some solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've been working 
with community over the last couple of years about what a statewide solution could be. Tell, tell me more about, um, I'm glad you teed up at that story. Uh, I was going to go there anyway. So, so tell me more about uh, specifically the program, this initiative, where you all, I guess, raise money to bail these black mothers out of jail. Tell me about the campaign itself specifically. Yeah, for sure. So our initial effort became, uh, it started in the spring of 2019. Um, you know, we are directly impacted base. So there were black moms in the base who were experiencing some of these issues. We dug a little bit deeper and started to learn the role that uh, the bail bond industry has actually mm-hmm. forcing many of us to, to have um, bail use, money bail used in our state. Um, and so through this effort, we found more and more directly impacted folks, started listening to their stories, started realizing the commonalities, and have ultimately landed on an effort to end wealth-based detention, um, not just in the state of Michigan, but joining on with other nation-wide uh, efforts that have taken place in Illinois, New York, New Jersey, um, considerations in ca- uh, California and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, when you said earlier that the bail uh, uh, process, uh, bailing someone out, is not as, uh, as as simple as it appears uh, in these Hollywood films, uh, what are you drawing attention to specifically about the difficulty of getting people, mothers in this case, black mothers, bailed out? Yeah, I just want to be clear with everyone listening. The, the bail process is designed to break you. Mm-hmm. It is designed to be intentionally opaque and confusing. There's a lot of starting and, and stopping and restarting. Um, and so a typical day, and folks can follow us online because uh, we do post some of these things, um, where you have a family member identify that they want to you know, have someone bailed out, or a lot of times folks will reach out directly from the jails. Um, and so we get our bail disruption team together with the funds, uh, and you get to the door. But you can't take your keys if they have a lanyard. You can't take your phone. A lot of times you can't take pencil and notebook. You get inside, you go through a metal detector like you're a criminal. Everyone wants to know why you're there to bail someone out. Um, and then there's a waiting process. Um, so you, you give the name. You don't just pay the money. Many times we don't pay the money until four, eight, and sometimes 12 plus hours after we've originally gone. And that can be for just one person. Then you have to deal with shift change, right? Which varies in time. There's also not the best reception from uh, folks who work at uh, the bail release um, at the the county jails who want to help folks. And then I think, you know, two big things that I want to lift up for folks is mental health and housing, which present as two of some of the biggest barriers we see with bail disruption. For one, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times first uh, people's first uh, treatment on their mental health happens in the county jail, if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of places, you aren't able to receive that care uh, if you weren't receiving it prior to being uh, arrested. So if you don't have a mental health facility um, or resources, we are not allowed to bail you uh, out. A lot of uh, families will actually ask us to leave that person in uh, because there's nowhere else 
for them to go. And then on the housing security, you have to have an address when you come out. Um, And so you could have fallen out with anyone. You could have lost your home while incarcerated over many months. And if you don't have an address to go to, and many of the shelters are full and restrictive, you also have to stay um, incarcerated. So it's not as easy as you think. And many times people give up. Um, and I'm blessed to work with a team of trained organizers who, um, you know, do this professionally. And so we have thicker skin. But for the average person, they're not going to understand the process. They're not going to have a community bail fund that's not going to ask for collateral. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people don't have that collateral to even post to the bail uh, bondsman themselves. So people stay locked up. A couple more quick uh, questions right quick here about the program itself that I got that I want to spread out a little um, spread out a bit more and cover some more territory here. Um, with regard to uh, this this initiative to bail mothers, these black mothers out of out of out of jail, wh- where does the money come from? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, we run a community bail fund, which means that the community helps to fund us. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes across all sectors, but. Um, I think a misconception people have is that there's a large grantor uh, that gives us money uh, to hand it out. Um, And while there are some, that's not where we receive the majority of our our funding. A lot of uh, regular folks um, give to our Act Blue, um, some on a recurring basis to make sure that uh, we're able to get these moms out. And while we highlight uh, the month of May for Mother's Day through June, Um, We've been blessed to be able to operate uh, almost year-round. And just last year, uh, we were able to launch a statewide legal defense fund for folks who experience um, incarceration while defending black lives in the streets. Let, let me let me just uh, let me just put you on the spot here. So, what is what is what is the your best argument? Your best appeal? Uh, appeal is a better word than argument. Um, what is your appeal uh, to persons? Uh, when you're raising money uh, for this initiative to bail these black moms out, like why would anybody listening to us right now consider um, sharing their money, uh, making a contribution to bail out black moms? What's your appeal? Yeah, I think a lot of the folks that we talk to have uh, lived experience. You don't have to be um, incarcerated or a black mom uh, to know that the criminal justice system and the way that uh, these courts and county jails operate is not providing the level of safety that was uh, advertised or that one would expect in a thriving community. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not public safety or community health for um, parents to be ripped away from their children, and it certainly doesn't help um, our local businesses when workers are ripped away arbitrarily um, and arbitrarily held um, on on money bail. Um, I think that it's a great matter of community safety and public health um, for us to have actual investment in mental health resources um, for all communities. It shouldn't be jail, and we've seen what the, the results are. Um, we all want thriving communities, um, and that's, that starts with uh, full families. So, I mean, hey, <laughs> we're here to end 
uh, the the bail bonds industry because it, it serves no one. And we're hoping to continue conversations with community, not just in the state of Michigan, but nationwide mm-hmm. on what a better alternative could be. I want to uh, speak on alternatives. I want to talk about uh, uh, fair alternatives to cash bail later in this hour. Uh, but let me ask you before news, traffic and sports, about three minutes here, um, what you are seeing with regard to the mental health of black women. Let me preface this, though. We had a conversation on this program earlier this week uh, about mental health. But we focus specifically on the mental health of black men, primarily because of the choking case. Um, Jordan Neely, as I recall, is his name. The brother was choked to death mm-hmm. on the uh, New York subway. Uh, and then the brother, Dion Patterson, I believe is his name, in Atlanta, uh, who walked into that medical facility and uh, just upset that we are told by his mother, his doctors would not give him his anti uh, his anti-anxiety medication. And he sort of snapped, uh, killed somebody, wounded others. But those two cases caused us to have a serious conversation on this program, really near about the mental health specifically of black men. My question for you now with these two minutes left before news and traffic is um, is what you are witnessing, what you experiencing vis-a-vis the mental health of black women. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the same if not increased. And again, right, black women are often invisibilized from that narrative. Um, again, we see families who are responding to a lack of mental health and public health resources, having only the police to rely on, um, and it ending in further harm and violence and death. Um, here in Detroit, um, you know, over half of our police calls um, are actually uh, in response to mental folks in mental health crisis. Mm. Um, and just in the last year, we've seen at least three um, killings of folks in mental health crisis. And this is with a, a, a chief of police who has a, a um a master's in social work. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think the the question is who has uh, power um, when folks with mental health experience are brought on scene with police officers. Um, I don't think we figured that out. And again, it just brings me to my original point that um, policing and jails and prisons should not be the only relied upon solution, the only well-resourced solution to mental health issues. Mm. Um, And it's sad because many of the black women we assist, right, are in similar uh, predicaments where they aren't able to access care. They aren't able to access medication. They are under extreme financial strain and housing insecurity. They are battling depression across the entire uh, spectrum. Um, And because we have not chosen to resource those things on the front end, we get them uh, on the back end through incarceration. No, um, I hear you. And I thank you for taking that question. Uh, I got a few more questions to, to, to put to you when we come forward. After news, traffic and sports, our guest in this hour is Ray Lanier. She's executive director of Michigan Liberation. We're talking in this hour as we approach Mother's Day this weekend about the ways in which mothers, black mothers in particular, but not exclusively, are being criminalized by our uh, system of jurisprudence, specifically the bail process. Uh, they have a, a pretty amazing initiative that's uh, being scaled up in uh, around the country and being looked at by others around the country where they uh, uh, raise money uh, to bail moms out of jail. We'll talk more about it when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. The station you turn to when you've had it up to here with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. 
This weekend is Mother's Day weekend. In case you just tuned in, we're continuing our conversation now with Ray Lanier, who's the executive director of Michigan Liberation. And uh, we're talking specifically about the ways in which um, so many black mothers are being put upon, disenfranchised, frankly, by our bail system in this country. Um, They have a powerful and beautiful initiative in Michigan where she's based called Michigan Black Moms Bailout. Uh, It's a campaign to, to raise money to bail mothers out. And they've been doing some pretty remarkable work there. Uh, in uh, in uh, Michigan and uh, others are paying attention around the country uh, to the ways in which we can support black moms, again, who are being put upon by our, our bail system. Um, I, I, I want to come to this point you raised earlier, and I'm not naive, of course, in asking this, but you, you made a point, and I want to just talk about it just for a second here, Ray. And that is this notion that when black women are arrested uh, and have the uh, don't have the capacity, the ability to bail themselves out, and nobody comes to their rescue, it destroys uh, the community. I, I think you're probably right about that. Uh, but give me some particulars what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, I think that in 2020, we saw a lot of this um, where, you know, uh, aunts who had been taking care of. Um, you know, their nieces and nephews who didn't have um, care otherwise uh, were incarcerated, right? And these kids are thrown into, um, you know, the foster care system. A lot of times they end up in the juvenile uh, justice system. Fast forward to today, we're seeing a lot of the same things. Um, In fact, in our local, uh, you know, juvenile detention facility, um, they are severely overcrowded. um, And a lot of it has to do with, right, either parents already being incarcerated um, or housing insecurity. Again, back to that, you have to have an address or you have to have Mm -hmm. secured mental health resources available. Um, And we see that decimating our our communities, right? Children are not in classrooms, right? Parents are not in their homes maintaining their properties. Um, You start to see a lot of blight. You start to see a lot of over-policing, right? Um, These neighborhoods become less and less desirable. Um, And there's a high cost to that. There's a high cost to the youth um, that are growing up uh, in a country where its justice system is not working as it should be. And I have to think about my elders, right, who uh, either don't want to leave or don't have the means to leave uh, their community. And they're faced with living in these shell neighborhoods, right, Um, where because they're literally not people there anymore to maintain they're the ones who have to fight the tall grass. They're the ones that have to fight with the broken streetlights and just feeling um, this general sense of uh, non-safety. A lot of times we want to throw money, um, you know, to deepen incarceration uh, efforts, to deepen um, our reach with the police. But when we look at the numbers, uh, the, the results are just not there People are more terrified and feeling more unstable than ever. Um, And it's just not the public safety that we were promised. Mm. So let's talk for a moment here then, uh, Ray, about uh, reimagining public safety as we know it. So I've I've, over the course of my career had any number of conversations about our about our our bail system. Uh, I did a series uh, years ago on PBS um, traveling the country, talking to all kinds of judges uh, about uh, the leeway they have and don't have when it comes to um, setting bail and remanding uh, women, mothers, others to prison. 
fascinating dialogue that I had um, over probably a decade ago about this very issue. And here we are in 2023, uh, and this issue uh, continues to, to, again, disenfranchise the lives of many people. So help me imagine, uh, reimagine, if you will, um, public safety in this country with specific regard to what we're talking about in this hour. Uh, black moms who find themselves in harm's way, can't bail themselves out and everything just, you know, it's a slippery slope, obviously, as you mentioned earlier. So what what do you think about some of the alternatives, some of the fair alternatives to cash bail? What, what's that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to be careful um, when we talk about this, because as an, as an organizer, we aren't just trying to get people uh, to protest and we aren't just having fundraisers to bail moms out. We're actually looking for long-term sustainable uh, solutions that are community-driven. Um, and so what we've seen um, happen sometimes is people uh, advocate for the ending of cash bail or wealth-based detention, and then they're like, all right, fine, we're just going to keep you. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we do not want that, right? What we want are preemptive uh, structures and strategy that actually help to uh, prevent and deter incarceration in the first place. As I mentioned before, in my own city of Detroit, over half of the police calls are about mental health uh, crises. What does it actually look like to appropriately allocate resources for families uh, to be able to rely on, not just, you know, when they're in crises, but in schools as well. Um, I've already mentioned the rising amount of juveniles that we're seeing in our our justice system, but we've also had um, a lot of school shootings, unfortunately, Um, so much to the point where we're almost losing track of it. And what is missing in the common thread in all of these stories is that there was a mental health uh, lack of resourcing Issue. So I think that's one preemptive way mm. that we can actually uh, take a step. But when you take it to the state legislature, I think, or, you know, in, in counties, um, I think it's working with community and movement attorneys um, on how we can support candidates to actually make it back to court. I think in our court watching experience, we've heard a lot of feedback from judges that they just truly believe that these people are not going to come back to court. And yeah, when you're facing homelessness and your car has been impounded, it can be hard to make it back to court, particularly with the fact that a lot of courts don't allow you to bring children inside with you. Mm -hmm. So now you have to figure out resourcing childcare. Pre-trial services is a great place we can think about resourcing and making sure that folks have what they need so that they can be uh, released on a personal recognizance bond. Um, And what we've been able to model through our bail program is just that. So we don't just uh, bail folks out. Um, We're following out before, during, and after uh, the process through adjudication to make sure that people have what they need. It's not too much to provide a $15 or $20 Uber ride for somebody to get to court. Um, In more extreme cases, we've seen where people have come to their homes and they needed a whole water heater um, replaced, and they have were taking care of their elderly parents with cancer. You know, it's nothing to go to community and say, hey, can we patch this up and support that? Um, we are non-legislators. We are non-lawyers. We are just regular people trying to fill in the gap um, that our elected officials and public safety have, have left us to fill um, with these community-driven solutions. And I'll just end with um, a quote that we always use here from Glenn E. Martin which is just that people who are closest to the problems are 
closest to the solutions, but often furthest away from resources and power. And so with this bail program, we're hoping to provide some of those resources to model what those resources could look like on a scalable state and nationwide uh, solution. And we're also hoping to empower people and build the political power we need to actually follow through on some of these changes. It's a powerful quote, and I'm glad you shared it. When we come forward with Ray Lanier, I want to come to this issue that she's raised a couple of times now. I heard it the first time. I heard it the second time. I'm sure you did as well. And that is this uh, data point that in the city of Detroit, I love Detroit, by the way, in the city of Detroit, uh, more than half of the police calls are mental health calls. That's an alarming statistic. Again, I've heard it twice raised in this conversation. I want to interrogate it when we come forward. The obvious question is, uh, and I can pretty much guess where she's going to go, but I want to hear it anyway. We've had this conversation before uh, on this program and for that matter on this station. And that is this disturbing relationship between law enforcement, <clears throat> excuse me, the police uh, and those uh, suffering with mental health uh, issues or those having mental health crises. Far too many people of color uh, in this country and others, but certainly African-Americans who find themselves uh, dead uh, over a mental health encounter with the police. But in a city like Detroit, where over the half, over half of the phone calls um, to the police department have to do with mental health issues, uh, it's alarming. Uh, and it seems to me that you don't have to deal with this bail problem uh, at the level that Ray Lanier and her colleagues are dealing with it if you don't have police uh, being the first responders, as it were, to mental health calls in the first place. Let's talk about that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Ray Lanier, um, the issue I raised moments ago about the police and mental health, uh, that stat uh, was not just um, uh, alarming. It was uh, sort of sort of difficult to process that in the city of Detroit, over half of the calls to police are mental health uh, crises. Uh, as I said a moment ago, uh, if, if, if that reality doesn't exist, then the bail problem that you have isn't as pronounced as it is. So your critique then of why in this country we still call on police uh, to address mental health issues. Yeah, I mean, I think we call on police because we haven't been offered any other alternatives. Um, we haven't been empowered to think that we could have another alternative. Um, and I think that's where the role of, of organizing um, comes in. I don't actually think it's surprising that over half the calls are dealing with mental health crisis. And I'm sure if folks were to pull the numbers in other areas that they mm -hmm. would see a similar trend of folks in crisis um, and, and community in crisis having no other option but incarceration. But I think... Um, it's not a, a money resourcing issue. The money is there. It's how are we allocating it? And are we allocating it to the correct things? Um, when I think about schools and what we've seen just in our, our youth um, in the past three, four years, I mean, we've seen an uptick in policing in schools that hasn't provided safer schools. Uh, we've seen an increasing trend of um guidance counselors who are not many in schools and who have an overburdened caseload, not able to get to every student and family. We see a lack of harm reduction or mental health care curriculum in schools. And we do see a lot of suspension and expulsion and school districts calling the police on children uh, because they literally do not have <laughs> a uh, community publicly resourced um, place to be able to handle that. Um, 
And so when we talk about bail and we talk about the justice system and we talk about what a thriving uh, community could look like, um, I think it's going to those directly impacted people who know exactly what they need um, to, to feel safer. Um, you know, we bail folks out um, and they're going through the, the court process. They have to pay for a tether and they have to pay for mandatory public defender fees. Um, when they couldn't pay bail. So how are they supposed to pay the lawyer? How are they supposed to get a quality defense? These are issues that we can resource on the front end and not the back end. Um, when we talk about uh, changing the role of policing, um, police should not be handling mental health um, cases. They are not those trained professionals. We have a professional class in this country that does, and I think that those roles should be further incentivized. After the pandemic, I mean, ask anyone. It was harder than ever to find a good therapist. Um, why aren't we resourcing that? Um, when we talk about the role of 911, it currently only goes to like EMS and, and police. But what could it look like to have a non-police professional crisis response line that is specifically designed to handle those mental health crisis incidents, those domestic disputes, and so on? These are some of the things that, you know, are not my ideas, but are the ideas of the thousands of people that we've talked to across, you know, the 83 counties of Michigan. Um, and as we talk to folks in our national cohort across the country, we're hearing the same thing. People do want to feel safe. We have invested heavily in the police year after year, and, and we still feel unsafe. So now is the time for us to go deep within uh, to what we know works mm -hmm. and be willing to put our dollars there. When we come forward in our remaining moments with uh, Ray Lanier, I want to close by asking her um, how she would address the following. <laughs> I want to frame this the right way. Um, whether or not part of what these black moms are experiencing what we're talking about in this hour is recidivism versus black mothers being on a rat wheel that they can't get off of. You've heard her talk in this hour uh, just moments ago, in fact, about the way you get pulled into this and you can't you can't ever get out of it. It's like, you know, Groundhog Day. Right. You, you can't. You, you, it's the same thing day in, day out. You can't get off this wheel once you get on it because the system isn't designed for you to get off the wheel. So is it recidivism? Or is it a rat wheel? We'll talk about that in our closing moments with Ray Lanier when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Coming up in just two minutes, our final hour today, speaking of incarceration, which we've been talking about with Ray Lanier in this hour, uh, we, uh, we will talk uh, about the transformative power of personal narratives in the community. Uh, with a gentleman who was on drugs, he was stabbed, he was set on fire, he was shot nine times. Some of those bullets still remain in his body. Uh, but his story of overcoming uh, is a story, again, about the transformative power of personal narratives in our community. And we'll talk uh, with that guest in the next hour, just a couple minutes from now. We close this hour with Ray Lanier with this question uh, as I exit uh, query. Um, Ray, recidivism or rat wheel? Um, I think it's a, a, a little bit of both. Um, it's very hard uh, to not recidivate after uh, going through the justice system, but, you know, it, it's a rat will. Um, you know, it, it's hard for people to get off. 
people ultimately should not be held ransom by the justice system for private proper, uh, profit, no matter their income. And in this country, they're presumed innocent until proven guilty. That's guaranteed by the, the Constitution. There are hundreds of thousands of people every day who are exploited by our local court systems. Um, and our justice system is not supposed to work this way. Victims and survivors deserve more. Um, communities deserve more. Families deserve more. And so we're hoping uh, that folks will join our effort uh, by looking us up on Linktree, Michigan Liberation, uh, where you can learn more about our local, state, and national efforts to end wealth-based detention in this country. We pride ourselves on this station and certainly on this show on on having conversations, uh, conducting conversations that matter. And I love nothing more than showcasing, than elevating, amplifying the work and witness of those uh, who are doing uh, the hard work, doing the things that that truly matter in terms of uh, uh, helping our communities become all that they can be and should be and were designed, in fact, to be. Uh, And Ray Lanier is doing the hard work in Michigan. Uh, She's the executive director of Michigan Liberation. You just heard how to contact them to learn more about what they're doing. And I hope that in the uh, months and years to come, we will see this uh, sort of program to help bail mothers, black mothers specifically, out scaled up across the nation. Ray, thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for the conversation. Good to have you on this program. Uh, Have a great weekend. Happy Mother's Day to you and all the folk you work with. Same. Thank you. Thank you for your time. The final hour, Tavis Smiley, when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.